Hey everybody, Pastor Joe here. Welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. I'm excited to be sharing with you our new sermon series here at Bothell United Methodist Church called Everyday Prophecy. Uh, we're exploring the ways we are called to be modern day prophets, uh, to, to be aware and curious of the world around us, to see the brokenness and the hurt and the systemic sins and institutional sins, uh, even personal sins, and to speak truth to power. Uh, today we turn to Amos chapter 7 and we saw the dangers of there being not a separation of church and state. What happens when the church exists to serve the state? Uh, check out the sermon here. I'm really excited this morning as we uh, start this new series, Everyday Prophecy. And, and for the next four weeks, we'll, we'll look to some of the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures to see how they spoke into the issues of the day. And we'll see how we might glean from their experiences to inform how we might live into God's preferred future. And, and in my preparation, I was thinking about some of the people I would consider modern-day prophets. I was thinking about that this week. Like people like uh, Dr. King and Gandhi and Malcolm X. People like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Dorothy Day. People like my grandfather. I was thinking about people like my kids. Probably like most kids, actually. Uh, some of you know I've had a lot of time to spend with my kids these past few weeks. Uh, we've transitioned from uh, the school year to the summer. Uh, we traveled together. Uh, we were quarantined together. <laughs> and some of my favorite uh, phrases uh, have come up during this time. Uh, things like, uh, why do I have to wear a suit for a wedding? And then uh, I got the who says. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Uh, hey, Appa, how come you get to make the rules about the iPad? <laughs> And then there's the ones that are a little bit more insightful. How come that man has a sign on the side of the road? What does it say? Can we help him? You see, at its core, I think a prophet is one who is curious at the ways of the world and then who speaks truth to power. And we see this throughout Hebrew scriptures as prophets are raised up. But I think the challenge for us this morning and throughout the series is going to be to question how each of us can have that posture of curiosity and then whether or not we have the courage to speak out. Dr. Dan Clendenin, he says that uh, prophets afflict the comfortable and the complacent they disturb our status quo, question the reigning order of things, help us to see the normal state of affairs in a different light, and advocate a new way of living. It doesn't take any special training or accreditation to become a prophet, but it does require a sense of curiosity and awareness of what is happening around us. So if we go to the context of our scripture reading this morning, we, we, Amos, he, he's writing sometime in the 8th century BCE, and Israel during this time is doing great. They are so good. They're no longer at war. They're no longer under the threat of immediate invasion. They're living in relative peace, and as a society, they are prosperous. 
In fact, they are so prosperous, they are so comfortable after all these years of oppression and conflict and being overpowered that they think that they've made it, that this is the end. Do you remember back in Genesis and Exodus, all of those covenants, all of those promises that God made with God's people? So God, he's, God said to a man named Abram and his descendants that God would be with him and that he would, make, uh, he would have descendants uh, uh, that I would outnumber the grains of sand under their feet and stars in the sky. Yeah, we're there now. And later on, uh, God promised um, to, to Jacob, uh, another one of their ancestors, that, uh, uh, that they would uh, continue to grow and be prosperous. And, and they, they realized that if this is the promise that God had for us from through our ancestors and we're living into that prosperity now, maybe we could become even more prosperous and we could have more power. Maybe God is bringing us to economic victory, to, to political victory, and we can just keep doing the things that we're doing. But meanwhile, in, in the small town, rural town, it's in the southern kingdom of Judah, 12 miles outside of Jerusalem, a voice cries out, not like this. See, see, see Amos, he's, he's a shepherd and a trimmer of sycamore trees. He, he looks at the world around him, and I, I imagine that he sees how words and actions, they don't match. He, he sees a society claiming to follow the ways of God while creating loopholes so that the rich get richer and the economic disparity between the poor and the wealthy continues to widen. He sees a society that mistakes prosperity with holiness. They mistaken their success with being called God's chosen people. He sees a people who are no longer aligned with the ways of God. Right? That's the purpose of a plumb line, right? This is a loose interpretation and translation by scholars for an obscure Hebrew word with very unknown origins, but, but we'll go with it because this is what more and more people are saying. It's a simple tool. There's a weight at the end of the string, and it's used for vertical alignment. Alignment. And Amos sees God using a plumb line to check the alignment of God's people with God's self, and he realizes that it is not aligned. That the ways and what they are saying and the ways and how they are being do not connect, and there is impending judgment to come. Verse 9, the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword, right? Here's where it gets interesting for me. See, as Amos is prophesying, especially as the words he says sound like a direct threat to the king, the priest of this place called Bethel, Amaziah, he, he hears of what Amos is saying and sends word to the king. And then Amaziah, he calls for Amos to come before him. And when Amos is there, he says to him to go away, to leave, to go home, back to your southern kingdom, home of Judah, make your money there, prophesy there, and to never again prophesy at Bethel. 
for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. All right, two quick takeaways. The first is about the role of the prophet. Okay? As Amos is there receiving what Amaziah says to him, go, leave, get away, he says to him, I am not a prophet. See, Amos is not one of those professional prophets who sits in the king's courts. He earns money prophesying as a career, as a vocation. He doesn't make his money this way. Amos is a shepherd. He's a landscaper, right? But for Amos, there was something so important, so pressing, so compelling that he could not not be a prophet. He had to speak the truth of what he saw around him. He had to speak truth that the people were not aligned with God. He had to speak the truth that there had to be a better way. I wonder how we see our world, how we see our community. See, I wonder if we see the injustices and the systemic sins that plague our society and shrug our shoulders, allowing life to go on as it is. It'll get figured out eventually. Or I'm, I'm sure someone is figuring it out. Someone's working on it. You know, things are probably better than they're not, so we're okay. What would it take for us to see the world in all of its broken forms and then to have the courage to speak out about it? Here's the, here's the second thing, though. Did you catch what the priest said as he was telling Amos to go from this place? It's verse 13. Uh, Amaziah says, But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it, it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. We don't exactly know where Bethel is. It's, it's certainly somewhere near the southern boundary of the northern kingdom of Israel. It's about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And if the name Bethel sounds familiar to you, it's, it's because Bethel was significant to the people of Israel be, beginning all the way back to their earliest ancestors. See, in, in Genesis, again, there's this man named Abram who hears from God to go forth from his father's land to travel to the place that he uh, is, will be revealed to him by God. And Abram finds himself at a place called Bethel. And he builds an altar there before he travels to Egypt, trusting that God would guide his steps. And he returns back to this place, Bethel, giving thanks after his travels conclude. And a little bit later, a couple of generations later, uh, he, there's a man named Jacob. Right? Jacob is also uh, on the move. He and his brother Esau get in a fight. Jacob is banished, exiled to the east. And on his way to the east, Jacob also comes to this place called Bethel. And in a dream, God encounters Jacob. And Jacob makes a vow. He, he sets up a pillar, another altar, as a response to God's promise of blessings. And so 
It's on the foundation of God's encounters with God's people, with their forefathers of faith, that the people of Israel build a temple at Bethel. There's a place to remember God's faithfulness. It's a place to remember God's promises. And it's a place to remember the relationship that God had and continues to have there with God's people. And it's this temple. It's this temple at Bethel that the priest Amaziah refers to now as the king's sanctuary as a temple of the kingdom. This is what happens when church exists to serve the state. We lose our sense of purpose. We become blinded by power and success and status and comforts. And we lose the power to speak God's truth. This is what happens when the church exists to serve the state. There's been a story in the news uh, that I've been wrestling with lately. It's, it's a story of the coach in uh, Bremerton, Washington. He, uh, he was uh, praying at midfield after games, and, and he was fired by the school district for public displays of religion. But then he took the case uh, up to the federal court and eventually to the Supreme Court, uh, claiming that the school had violated his First Amendment right to religion. Uh, from what I understand, the, the incident happened uh, six years ago, uh, but the court had just heard it uh, in the last couple months, in April, I think, and in the decision, the court decided to side with the coach. And here's why it's hard for me. Because I don't want to lose sight of the power of prayer. Right? I definitely believe in the power of prayer. I definitely believe that there is a space for prayer. I woke up this morning with prayer. I'm going to end the day with prayer. There's going to be plenty of prayer in between. I encourage you to have a healthy prayer life, but not like that. I think there's an issue when, when our power and authority and position and privilege allows our faith to be the one that is enforced and celebrated and only celebrated across our societies. There's a problem when power and authority and position and privilege is forced on others. And the impact of that is that it lessens our ability to reflect and to live into these communities of love and of hope and of peace and of justice, the ones that God invites us into. See, I don't think the Supreme Court was making an attack on our religious practices. I think the Supreme Court was losing the separation of church and state. And when that happens... As that continues to happen, perhaps that's when churches become the king's sanctuaries. Perhaps that's when churches become the places of the kingdom, the temples of the state. 
wonder what it means for us to be prophets, to be everyday prophets today in the here and the now, to, to look at all that is happening around us in the world and to be aware that it can't stay this way. May we have that curiosity, like children, to ask why and how come and are you sure? And may we also have our hearts broken so that we don't respond like priest Amaziah did, that we are able to negotiate and to navigate and to reflect and critically think about our faith, not as a way of power and status and privilege, but as a way for us to live into God's preferred community, one that is of belovedness and of hope and of peace and of joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask that you continue to journey with us as you have done throughout time with your people as you will continue to do. We pray that you would journey with us even now, that as we look around and see the ways of injustice and of sin and of all the ways we continue to hurt each other in the world, that you would inspire us to have hearts of curiosity and that our hearts would not be so hardened that we can't imagine the ways in which you are leading. So inspire us to dream like you dream. Inspire us to vision like you vision. Inspire us to live into the holy work that is already happening as we strive to become more like your son Jesus in the community. Bless us on our journeys, for it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was our first sermon in our series, Everyday Prophecy. Uh, Here at Bothell, uh, I challenged our uh, people to go through this week uh, intentionally aware of all that is around them, uh, to see the world anew and to allow our hearts to be broken uh, by the things that we encounter. Um, I hope that that is something that is challenging for you, inspiring for you. I really do think that's the beginning of what it means for us to be modern-day prophets. It's the first step for us to be curious and to see the world anew. So hope you're able to do that this week, and we'll come back and we'll continue to speak about the ways we're called to uh, live into God's preferred future, to partner alongside what God is already doing. I hope you have a really, really good week, and we will see you next week. Talk to you then. Thank you.